Uh, Before we begin, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, may all my words uh, be focused on Jesus Christ and may our hearts be open to what you have to say to us this evening. Amen. Please be seated. If you were here this morning, uh, you would have heard Alan talking about the need to reclaim the glorious truth that our God is a personal God. And I believe that we know that our God is a personal God, primarily through Jesus. And the story in our passage points to that great truth. And this, alongside two really very interesting statements made by Jesus at the end of the passage, is what I really want to focus on this evening. If I started talking to you about the X Factor... I imagine what would spring to mind would be something about attractive young people, high in ambition, lacking in talent. Or for half the population, probably just Cheryl Cole. But in this instance, I'm using it to refer to those people who just stand out from the crowd because of who they are. And we've all met them, and it might be at work or at school. And when we do meet them, we, just, we desperately want to impress them and uh, to be their friend. We want to be noticed by them. And that really sounds a bit sad, but it's true, and and it happens to all of us. In our passage, we have a story where, for Philip and Nathaniel, meeting Jesus has a similar but far, far greater effect. The day after he's called Peter and Andrew, Jesus is about to leave Galilee, and he he manages to get hold of Philip. We don't know exactly what's said by Jesus, but Philip is clearly absolutely awestruck And what do people do when they find someone special? Well, they tell their friends. Kind of a sad story, but when I find or watch a a rugby or football match uh, and there's a really exciting young English player, um, I generally text my brothers and say, you've got to look out for this guy, he's going to be great. I don't know how they feel about it. Uh, I can't imagine it's great fun hearing sort of a regular update on the state of English sport. Um, But, you know, it's it's how I sort of uh, show off what I've seen on TV. And it brings me to my first point, that when someone encounters Jesus, whatever conclusion you end up making about him, you discover someone utterly distinctive. He is a challenge, he's certainly a challenge, but a wonderful one, just as Philip discovers. And the amazing thing about this particular encounter for Philip is that he doesn't just think that Jesus is special, he goes and tells his friend that this carpenter, the son of a carpenter from Nazareth, is the very person that Moses talked about and that Jews have been hoping for ever since. And that's pretty incredible. And it's especially incredible when we consider that Jesus was just the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. If you're wondering why there was such a fuss about Nazareth, uh, as we heard in the reading, well, it was Nazareth was in the Galilee region, and that was an area that was massively looked down on by the rest of Israel. And the rest of Galilee felt the same way about Uh, about Nazareth. If you met someone from Nazareth, you'd have pretty low expectations, to say the least. And I'm sure we can all think of the British equivalent. However, in spite of Jesus' background and his father's occupation, Philip is utterly overwhelmed by his encounter because Jesus was unlike anyone he's ever met. For those here who are perhaps exploring the Christian faith, I wonder if something similar is true for you. 
that sense of excitement around the person of Jesus may be sparked by a conversation with a friend or just hearing about some of the things he said and did. And I do hope you'll keep that in mind as we go on. Well, if Philip was the only example in our story this evening, uh, then that would be food for thought. But as we know, Philip goes and finds Nathaniel because naturally he wants to share this amazing person with his friends. An amazing person who believes is the one that Moses promised. So he brings Nathaniel to meet Jesus for himself, in spite of Nathaniel's scepticism regarding Nazareth. They meet, and Jesus surprises Nathaniel by telling him that he's without deceit, without guile, if you like. I wonder if Jesus is being a bit tongue-in-cheek here, but whether that's the case or not, Jesus clearly got Nathaniel's attention. And somehow, through that, Nathaniel catches a glimpse of Jesus' true nature. I really love this bit of narrative. Philip meets Jesus, gets very excited, goes and finds Nathaniel and invites him, and rather than combating his, Nathaniel's understandable scepticism about Jesus, he just says that you've got to meet him for yourself. That's the best argument for Jesus, is Jesus himself. From Nathaniel's perspective, he's just invited to meet a friend of a friend. But one short conversation... And Nathaniel is utterly blown away as well. You see, Nathaniel recognises someone with the X factor, but also someone with authority, hence calling him rabbi or teacher. He recognises someone unique and sent by God, and that's why he calls him King of Israel and the Son of God. For us today reading this passage, the interesting thing about it is not necessarily what Jesus says, although for Nathaniel that must have been absolutely awesome, but rather it's the response of Nathaniel. And the response is intriguing because it is so early on in Jesus' ministry. As we know, it's not the only time that Jesus is referred to as the Son of God, uh, but is by far the earliest in his ministry years. Although John the Baptist, as we saw two weeks ago, declares him to be the Lamb of God and the Chosen One. The most famous examples of him being called the Son of God are centred on the cross. I think especially of where the Roman centurion is uh, watching Jesus die. Uh, he sees this carpenter die on a cross in pretty, pretty awful circumstances and says, surely this man was the son of God. And we'll come back to the cross and what that's about, all about later. But for the moment, let's return to Nathaniel's story and to, those, and to the first of those two statements made by Jesus. Nathaniel, as we know, had good reason to be excited by his encounter with Jesus. But he would have been even more fascinated by how Jesus responded to what might have seemed just like an absolutely massive compliment. In verse 50, we read Jesus' reply. You believe because I told you that I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. It almost sounds boastful, but really it's an invitation from Jesus for Nathaniel to discover more. It's Jesus saying, okay, that was a sign of who I am. But really, you ain't seen nothing yet. And my second point is that seeing these greater things is absolutely key to people cementing their faith in Jesus. Because the kind of I'm interested, Jesus seems pretty amazing stage is where many people do get stuck. They need to see things, the things that Nathaniel is going to see over the next couple of years with Jesus. Stuff like Jesus walking on water, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, lepers being healed, and Jesus hanging out with the prostitutes and tax collectors. 
making time for those that the religious leaders avoided. It was a remarkable life for Nathaniel to witness. And it's vital that if you've had your attention grabbed by Jesus in whatever way, but you aren't quite sure what backed it up, that you too examine that life for yourself. If we do search the Gospels for these great things that Jesus is referring to, we will come across that famous statement by Peter in Matthew chapter 16. He has got to the point which Nathaniel will reach in a couple of years. He's seen Jesus' ministry. He has seen many people healed. He's seen demons cast out, cast out. He's seen the dead brought back to life. And nature itself being commanded. And just as importantly, he has seen Jesus' compassion, his perfect goodness, his standing up for what is right, and his love. That perfect combination of moral backbone and loving care for the last and the least in society. And for Peter, it takes all of these greater things, for that is what, Peter, uh, what Jesus is referring to with Nathaniel, for him to get it. Who do you say I am? asked Jesus of the disciples. And Peter responds, you are the Christ and the Son of the living God. So he has latched onto that great truth. And because Jesus, uh, Peter has seen the greater things, he is more assured in his statement. You see, Jesus wanted to show Nathaniel, and wants to show us as well, more than is just gained from that first impression, as important as that experience is. And I think that between Peter and Nathaniel and their experiences, we probably cover most people here tonight's own sort of journey. For some it was an instant fascination, an attraction to Jesus, that sort of led you to call him Lord. For others, it might have taken longer because you wanted to explore things, you wanted to explore what he said and what he did. And I think that's, you know, both, both ways of doing it are obviously absolutely acceptable. Again, if you do find yourself in a situation where that interest has been sparked, maybe by something you've seen in the Christians around you, or maybe you, you've had a real and very obvious answer to prayer, and you want to explore it, I don't think I can suggest anything more profitable than getting hold of a Bible for yourself, reading through the Gospel accounts of Jesus, or just chatting to a Christian friend and finding out where Jesus stands in their lives and what he's done for them. He is unique, like absolutely unique. And he lived a life to back it up. So do, do find out more. And Jesus' second statement, around which my final point centres, and the climax of our passage really, is basically Jesus pointing towards his ultimate purpose, to be the meeting place for God and for man. Even with Peter and the disciples, Jesus is still, he's still pointing forward to something greater. Peter has seen these amazing things. And Jesus really is delighted that he has seen the truth about who he is. But as we are regularly reminded in the Gospels, the disciples didn't still quite grasp the full truth about Jesus' purpose. And we probably best understand this when we go back to our passage. If verse 50 is Jesus pointing towards the greater things, then verse 50, well, what's, what's that, sorry, 51, what is that all about? I tell you the truth, Jesus says, you'll see heaven open and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And I must admit, when I first read that, when I was given this passage, I was a little bit confused. But actually, this verse is the key, not only to this passage, but also to the whole of John's account of the life of Jesus. Because what Jesus is saying here is, Truly I tell you, you will see that I, I am the place where man can meet God. 
And this is something that people everywhere want to do. Jesus, the place where man can meet God. You see, as we heard from our first readings today, uh, he's quoting from Genesis, uh, from the story of Jacob. And in that story, Jacob is on his travels. Uh, night comes, he has a sleep, and he dreams of this ladder or a, uh, a staircase. And Jacob's at the bottom, and God is up there, he's out of reach. And angels sort of going in between. That ladder is a picture of the situation that exists between mankind and God. It emphasises the enormous chasm between us and God. God was communicating with Jacob, but that was the exception rather than the rule. And uh, we all know how vital a ladder is. I've been very privileged to watch Steve Wilby uh, changing some of the lights in church. And there's no way that we'd see him shimmy up some wall, fix it by himself, one-handed, without a ladder. And usually he needs me to stand on the bottom rung. So by saying that Nathaniel will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, Jesus is identifying himself as that vital ladder. He's putting his hand up and saying, I, I will be where God, who is in heaven, meets the people that he created. This is my purpose in coming. This is what I want you to consider, and this is what you need to understand. You see, Philip and Nathaniel, like most Jews, uh, were desperately longing for a Messiah, the promised one who had come from God. And Jesus just said, I am the promised one. But unlike most people's understanding at the time, the Messiah was not there for merely earthly purposes, sort of heralding a new reign of you know, Israelite power where they'd get rid of the Romans, but far greater than that. Jesus is saying, I am going to be the way for all the world to meet God and to bring them to a relationship with him. Just take a moment to consider how mind-blowing that is. God didn't intervene with his representative to make Israel a great nation again. He intervened to make it possible for anyone, anywhere, to know him. But I wonder if you're thinking, how come I can't make my own ladder? How, why can't I reach him on my own? Well, firstly, let's be clear that we are actually separated from God. And to my mind, as I look around me at the world, I find that so fairly self-evident. But the, the Bible does make it clear. The prophet Isaiah says, Your iniquities, that is your sins, have separated you from God. Ecclesiastes said, God is in heaven and you are on earth. I mean, we were made by God to know him. He is out of reach because of our sins. Just think about Steve on the ladder. Those lights are very much out of reach, and he needs help. And we all desperately, desperately need that help to reach God, because no one has ever got themselves up there by themselves. And nor is it just a case of climbing away from something bad down here, because as we see with Jesus, it's being brought to God himself, and he's not distant and cold as we might imagine, but he is infinitely loving, and is reaching out to us by providing Jesus as the meeting place. And right here, in this final verse of this passage, and later in John's Gospel and the other Gospels, we see Jesus actually making this possible. If what we need is to be forgiven for those things that separate us from God, then what, would she, then what, would, then what should we be doing to receive that forgiveness? And our natural reaction is to try and build our own ladder by doing good things understandably. And maybe we think that the way to get there is by going to church every Sunday. 
Or maybe just by coming twice a year. Maybe it's reading the Bible regularly or giving lots of money to charity. And we do try and make our own ladder, but it's, it's never going to be enough. And we can't climb up to God because it's sin that separates us. And it's not simply a plus and minus account. It's something fundamental and something which we can't do our own. But that is what the cross is all about. Jesus dying so that we can all be forgiven because he has taken the penalty for our sins and on our behalf. And he is raised from the dead so that we can know this to be true. He is the ladder and the place to actually meet God. For some here, I guess this might be new and uh, if not, it might still be confusing. But I would really encourage you all to look into it. Of all the things you do in your life, uh, school, university, jobs, maybe marriage, uh, and I've nearly ticked all those boxes now, exploring the the claims of Jesus is the most important, bar none, full stop. For those here who know that whatever you might normally profess, that right now you do need to repent and turn to God in obedience to receive that forgiveness, then now is the time to let go of your fears and your hurts and perhaps your desperate attempts to be better. Simply look to Jesus and trust that he has made himself the ladder for you and ask for forgiveness and new life in him. I realise that to some extent this should cover all of us. But for those here who, for want of a better phrase, uh, would consider themselves to be in a stable relationship with God, I want to challenge you to consider what an immense responsibility that is. And what is it? Well, as we've heard, we are being saved not only from something, but to something. Jesus is the ladder, not simply away from the problems caused by being separated, but actually to meet God. And that is something to enjoy in its fullness. But more than that, we are now the body of Christ. And as such, we are called to actually be Jesus to the world around us. Because Jesus came as God's representative, and now we are his representatives. Remember the great things that Jesus talked about and did. Well, that is the mission of the church now. Not simply telling people about Jesus, as Philip did, as good as that is, but living it out. And that is hard Because that means loving people as Jesus loved them. It means serving people as Jesus served them. It means witnessing to the power of God as Jesus did through the transformation in our lives. And it's ultimately to point people to Jesus as the one place where anyone from any race, any religion, as Colin talked about a couple of weeks ago, any background, any age, with any past imaginable where they can meet God. And it's where they can be forgiven, can be changed, and where they will be welcomed by the God who created us all and who loves us all far too much to simply leave us as we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have reached out to us And what you require in exchange uh, for forgiveness is simply that we trust in Jesus and we submit our lives to you. And Lord, the the glory of Jesus is absolutely incredible and words don't do it justice. But Lord, we pray that 
everyone here tonight would catch a glimpse of you revealed in Christ and that we may live our lives in response. Well, bless us all. Amen.